What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly almost out of quarantine check-in with pop culture, uh, TV, movies, and music today, Dave. We're going to be uh, diving into a couple albums, a couple movies, and a HBO miniseries that debuted this past Sunday. But first, just want to check in. I'm with my trusty co-host, Dave Martinson. Dave, how, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well. It's been a lot of uh, public, uh, how should we say, outing of abuse of all kinds throughout the entertainment industry across many mediums, industries, all that. Um, that's obviously good to see. Tough to, uh, I guess, scroll and see more of that unveiled day to day. But then again, it's good that that's getting out. Those conversations came to be had, so don't think we have a whole lot to add to that, but uh, that has certainly been one of the bigger storylines the past week, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. Um, always disheartening to see just the depth of uh, the, the abuse that goes on um, with these uh, these stars and, and you know, pretty much always male uh, st- celebrity or, or producer or something like that, so... Um, good that they're being exposed, bad that it's still happening. Let's hope that it continues to happen less and less and all strive to be better men. Uh, but Dave, I think we should transition right into the music today because I think we have a couple of pretty good albums to, to dive into. And we're going to start with the third album from City Girls, City on Lock. Uh, this duo, uh, female duo, uh, dropping this 15 song, I guess, uh, but there's maybe like one or two tracks that are kind of short, but most of them pretty regular length songs, which we haven't been uh, getting too many albums where like all the songs are like regular length songs. So I'm impressed by that. They're from where? They're Miami? I think? Yeah, they're, yep, they're yeah. from Florida, City Girls, Young Miami and JT, the duo. Most, uh, probably f- eh, most, most famous, I think most, got on people's radars in 2018 with their uh, uncredited guest vocals on Drake's In My Feelings. Fuck that Netflix and chill. What's your net 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 worth? Uh, And then, of course, they've had some of their own hits since then, like Act Up and Mm -hmm. Twerk with Cardi B. And interesting thing about this album, not on my radar, not really on anybody's radar because it was not supposed to come out on Saturday. They had uh, just announced its existence, more or less, and they put out that first single, Jobs, and then it leaked. So they were like, fuck y'all, we're putting it out. And it came out on a Saturday. And here we are. Well, I'm definitely glad that they dropped it because um, this was uh, quite a, a fun listen, I thought. I think there's a lot to to like on here. They, they obviously uh, flow together pretty well, I would say. I think they're a very... Um, they they have a good re- relationship, good uh, play off each other. But I think what I was most impressed by was just some of these songs go really hard. And uh, you know, Jobs I think is probably the one that stood out the most. You know that that like deep beat is so like just kind of like rock your your doors uh-huh. on your car. But throughout this, there's kind of a lot of bangers on here. How did you feel about it? Yeah, I agree. Just quickly on Jobs, which is also one of my favorites. That beat uh, is not produced by Tay Keith, but it sure sounds like Tay Keith's mm-hmm. nonstop by Drake. Like that is 
the same drum kit. That is the same bass line. I, I listened to it a few times just trying to figure that out, and it sounds very similar. So well, we might be seeing more about that in a bit. But yeah, uh, they go hard, and they have, they've had great chemistry. And you know, I'm kind of uh, impressed at the way the you know still rising stardom of City Girls has been handled because they're signed to Quality Control. Uh, an album that or label that is made their name on flooding the zone with lots and lots of projects, namely like Migos and Little Baby. They didn't do that with City Girls because JT was like in was arrested and in in, in serving a jail sentence for credit card fraud, basically right around the time they started blowing up, and they kind of just rode that out. And Young Miami had a kid, and like now now like now they're they're both uh, JT's out and. They're like ready to go again, and it sounds like no no time has been wasted. Nothing was lost because they have great chemistry and they go hard, and they're fitting right into that wave we're seeing with a lot of female MCs in terms of uh, you know empowerment and uh, my pussy uh, ain't free that kind of shit that we expect mm-hmm. from people like Megan Thee Stallion and Doja Cat and a lot of others. And they're uh, great entries in that too because uh, they just drop bangers. Shit's hard. Yeah, and they they have great features throughout too. You know, um, Doja Cat, Lil Lil Durk, Lil Baby, uh, who I particularly I particularly liked Lil Baby on Flute Out. I thought um, almost every time Baby, Lil Baby shows up, I feel like I'm, I'm more figure. and more impressed. Yeah. Um, and w- what features stood out most to you though? So I'm, I like Doja Cat and Pussy Talk because Doja Cat has her own brand of this lyrical content, but actually flowed together quite well uh but i think little dirk on city unlock mm. uh sounded great and yeah. in general little dirk's another guy who i who's rose in estimation with me more of late than he did in his early parts of his career um and you know i guess if you wanted to be critical they're not doing a whole lot they have they did they didn't do on their their other two projects um there's a little bit of like some choruses here and there but more or less it's kind of the same stuff and in a sense their flows are pretty uh, repetitive, I guess. I don't know if it's necessarily a problem, but I, I don't know if they have uh, the same like top tier technical ability that, say, like Megan does. But either way, uh, they make lots of lots. Of, I think songs that can connect with people just because the lyrics are actually pretty relatable. Yeah, and I yeah, I mean, even even if some stuff sounds like other stuff, uh, it's usually sounding like a song that's hot. So it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> give me their chemistry and some beats that go hard, and I think you're going to get a really enjoyable album every time. So uh, definitely a pleasure to listen to. What 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 songs do you want to throw on the playlist, or what song? Yes, I think Jobs is a clear, yeah. clear highlight for sure. I also really like Double CCs because on that one, there's a bit of a back and forth between JT mm-hmm. and Young Miami on the hook, which I like. You know, that, that, that's something that comes with chemistry, comes with time, and I actually would like to hear more of that. On that, a lot of times they're just kind of taking turns on the songs, so that that one stood out to me as well. Cool, uh, Jobs on the Nostalgia Best of 2020 playlist. Check that out on Spotify and follow it. Um, let's jump to I don't know if we can call her necessarily hip hop, probably a little more R and B. Tiana Taylor uh, dropping a, a very long album, hour and 14 yeah. minutes. Ton of you know we're talking features. We're talking features here. There's lots of, of <laughs> guests drop, dropping on this, some big names. Uh, but <laughs> there, were, I, I guess I just want to start off. I listened to this in the car. 
uh, on a long drive this weekend and I found myself just at times like jaw dropping like how nasty this guy at times how graphic some of these lyrics were felt like I needed to take a shower at points uh, and Tiana really bringing the sex appeal uh, and injecting that straight into her songs there's a, there's a run like right uh, in the middle of this album where it's just like one song after another where you're just like god damn this is some sexy shit but Dave how are you feeling about this album as a whole an hour 14 minutes 74 minutes quite a listen yeah 23 tracks a far cry from her 2018 album keep the same energy which was only eight tracks famously tiana was not happy with the rollout and promo with that album of course the last of the uh fabled good music uh, wyoming sessions and all that mm-hmm. um so she seems to have completely course corrected in the other direction you know uh, not having to worry about anything being cleared and being cut. She just didn't seem to cut much of anything. No. Uh, by all accounts, this was mainly recorded this year as well. It's pretty new, pretty pretty mm-hmm. quarantine-focused. Uh, but yeah, I, I did struggle with it in that regard because there's just so many tracks. And Tiana, who has been a, uh, I think known as a talent since a young age when she choreographed for Beyonce, you know, as just when she was just really a dancer, she doesn't have the most uh, jaw-dropping voice in R&B. And I think when you have this many tracks, there's just going to be a, a filler vibe to some of them. But it is cool to see her uh, kind of double down and give you what she wanted because she also was not happy with how her first album, Seven, on Good Music did as well. So, you know, this definitely seemed to be something she wanted to make and it's very influenced by... Um, her marriage to Iman Shumpert and their uh, daughter, who's now a few years old. And you hear the audio of that uh, mm-hmm. 911 call when uh, they give birth in the bathtub and all that, which people know. So Pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I, it's definitely way too long. But there's there's also highlights because Tiana Taylor, uh, you know, is really good at that silky R&B. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think... Um, some I think some of the tracks, especially in that run I was talking about, um, zooming out, a lot of those tracks start to blend together and don't really stand out as super memorable. But I think when she's interplaying off of someone jumping on the track with her is when um, she really shines. And you can kind of hear just how um, how much I think she feeds off the energy of somebody else. Because I, I actually found a couple of her tracks, like even the Wake Up Love track, to be a little bit sleepy when it was mostly her carrying it. Um, but I think some of the tracks like the one with Kalani morning, um, I thought that was really strong, um, booming with Missy Elliott and future. I, I actually liked futures, uh, feature on the calendar. Is, yeah. Like, like the first time I really enjoyed feature in a uh, future in a long time. Um, and then obviously I think the last track with Lauren Hill always just, I feel like bringing the fire. Uh, she's a personality in and of herself, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what track stood out to you? Yeah, it, it is a bit of a flex to have Lauren Hill, Missy Elliott, and Erica Badu yeah. on your album as features. Uh, Lauren Hill, obviously, in particular, that's uh, pretty rare. Um, I got to be honest, I was incredibly surprised to like King Combs' feature as mm. much as I did on How You Want It. King Combs, of course, is uh, Diddy's oldest yeah. son who does rap. He's rapped for a while, I haven't really done anything of note, but I thought that was actually a really good feature, man. Uh, speaking yeah. of the dirty shit, he's talking about uh, 
what uh, face down ass up and all that shit you know it's <laughs> like um as far as a solo track i also like try again towards the end mm-hmm. as well yeah i agree and i think that there's i think a lot of it is quality i just don't know if anything really caught me on a, a second listen through the same way that a couple of you know the features did um i thought one eight hundred one night was pretty catchy yeah. for a solo track uh good hook so um yeah i mean tiana is very interesting right because i feel like in name recognition she's pretty well known obviously like you mentioned for her choreography and dancing skills um but for her actual output i, I don't know if any of these i don't know if she has a song yet that really solidifies her as like that next like great star like she seems like a pretty middling artist i'd say yeah and like i think what she's like 28 29 like yeah it's been around a long time and she's a successful R&B artist, but you're right. I don't, I don't, she, she hasn't risen to the heights of, I don't know, say, say SZA, you know, um, just because music hasn't totally been there. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. She doesn't really have like a, like a, a true, like bona fide hit, but and that's okay too. I think I was reading some of the press about this, that her and Chump have also done like investing a lot of businesses and stuff. And I believe Tiana's involved with some like dance studios and dance brands and stuff like that. And uh, maybe named after her daughter, I forget, but um, definitely a multi hyphenate, which is cool, but the music is clearly just one part of that and uh, solid, but yeah, uh, still, still, still not being loud. And I, I, I still want more, but this definitely feels like this was a cathartic project, like a, yeah. a for Tiana drop more than anything else. Definitely. And hopefully this gets her on the path where she wants to go. I'd like to see her create something a little more succinct, kind of like Georgia Smith. I feel like she could very much be in that same conversation with a more focused album. Um, But, you know, we have another female artist we want to talk about. Phoebe Bridgers, who dropped, I'd say, a very focused album with Punisher. Her second solo album, um, she obviously dropped 2019's uh, better oblivion community club or community center Center. whatever it was um Mm -hmm. with connor oberst of bright eyes uh project we review check out that review um i I think we liked it i think we thought that there were they played off each other well i think it was the most coherent and inspired we'd heard connor in a long time and i think phoebe as a writer can definitely bring that out and her i think that shines through in, in punisher as well um Phoebe, I think, is a great lyricist, and I think she also constructs songs really masterfully. You know, has some nice little flourishes and touches that really add to the the meaning and and usually like the sadness of the song. But I, I gotta say, I found this album to be a little bit. I don't want to say tough to listen to, but just a bit of a drag. Like it, it was a heavy emotional album, and uh, not I wouldn't say super engaging all the time. Especially the back half, I found to be pretty pretty tired in a lot of ways how did you feel listening to it yeah oh my god that's so funny to hear you say that um yeah uh i i liked phoebe on better oblivion community center i also liked her in boy genius even if the boy genius trio definitely felt like a your turn my turn yeah her turn kind of treat mm-hmm. out uh, uh, ep from a trio but yeah he, he, you know at this point she's only 25 but she has this immense clout in indie rock yeah. just just kind of a universal acclaim very fast and also casting a wide net in terms of collaborators, both on the mic and, you know, uh, in the back end as well. Uh, so to come into this, you know, I was expecting, 
expecting something something big, you know. And I really like, I think soccer mommy's color theory comes mm. to mind. Something that I think really did hit. And another person who's on this similar uh, indie stardom uh, in her early twenties. But for Phoebe, for me with this, I think the the songwriting talent, which we've already known, is still very present. And it, she's such a stark, um, almost blunt songwriter, and that yeah. it does impress me a lot because I think it's hard to be so upfront uh, while you know keeping a song structure and stuff like that. Uh, it's also really personal lyricism that I think has endeared her to a lot of people. But this is the kind of indie rock that I do struggle with just because Phoebe has a bit of a deadpan delivery mm-hmm. and is intentionally making minimalist tracks. Right. It's really about that lyricism, about that message. And if you, like you said, if you, if you engage and you uh, let her take you down because of the subject matter, uh, you'll probably be impressed. But I have a hard time listening to it just because it's. Uh, I feel like I, don't know, I feel like it asks a lot of you. Um, yeah. I think there are highlights. So, like Kyoto in the beginning, my ears perked yeah. up. So, wait, this is up tempo, and turns out that was uh, definitely a uh, outlier because it's, mm-hmm. she, she's you know she, that's like a jam song, that's a festival track. But uh, yeah, it's it, it, it's not my favorite. But it, I you know it's nothing new for me. Um, yeah, you know I I think in terms of Phoebe, she kind of goes in two directions, either like Kyoto or I'm trying to remember. I think it might've actually been on Punisher, the ending of it. She brings in like a lot of strings. Um, I'm not sure if that's the right track. I, I can't find it in my notes where I wrote it down, but she also does that at the end again, where she brings like an orchestra in for another song. And I think that those sorts of flourishes really add to, just like the way that she can portray emotion through her songs. Like you said, she does have a bit of like a deadpan delivery, but her lyrics, if you really sink into them, you're sinking. Like you're really down in the muck with her. Um, She's on the Dead Oceans. Good label. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) definitely. Um, But I think where this kind of didn't hit all the way for me was there wasn't enough tempo change up in, in the songs. I think all kind of started to sound very similar to me. And when it's someone like Tiana Taylor and it's 23 track album, you kind of expect that even city girls, you kind of expect something like that. But Phoebe at being this like indie rock prodigy at 25, Mm -hmm. I'm looking for her to be trying things and to be kind of changing things up. And I think I, I, my expectations for this maybe were a little bit more uh, looking for a little bit more from her than she actually delivered here. Still, I think really solid, uh, album start to finish but just um not necessarily the most engaging listen mm-hmm. you, you mentioned kyoto that was a standout for me as well any other songs that you liked yes towards the end uh i see you there was a mm-hmm. moment on verse two that reminded me of soccer mommy's uh your dog was mm. it, i hate your mom i hate it when she opens her mouth it's amazing to me how much you can say when you don't know what you're talking about <laughs> and because it's phoebe bridgers She's not actually saying that in a super emotive way, which actually makes it even more cutting yeah. of lyrics. So I really like that. Yeah, she really is like that, like Daria, almost like character of indie rock, right? Where her her affect is so flat, but what she's saying just like cuts straight to you and she can do it in the most like yeah. ironic <laughs> way. You're just like, damn, that really got me. You know, I thought I See was another strong song. And Garden Song, which we already think have on the uh, we do. 2020 Best of Playlist, is uh, just a really strong track. And it's really interesting because I think the, the male uh, duet on there 
that guy's voice is incredible and it's just like i think like herodi or something like that or it might be like the like pianist of her of her band who's not actually known for singing just as a very deep mm-hmm. like icelandic almost voice so uh th- there's a lot to like here but I-, I wouldn't say that this is probably gonna make my best of list for the end of the year drop us your thoughts if you, though if you're uh, watching on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod hit that subscribe button and you want to hit that subscribe button because we're going to be talking about the first episode of Perry Mason. Then we'll be wrapping up the season in a, sh- a few weeks, about seven weeks, because this a is a transition episode miniseries on HBO starring Matthew Reese from The Americans, which we both still haven't finished. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, this day, will be the sorry. time to get around to it, right? <laughs> really uh, like the show still. <laughs> um, yeah, so Perry Mason debuted this weekend. Dave, how you feeling about this? I, I, I got some mixed feelings. I want to hear where you're at first, though. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of on-the-surface stuff that's really impressive, right? It looks expensive as hell. It looks awesome. When, when they tell you we're about to be in 1932, you believe it because they really spare no expense. You feel like you're in L.A. It looks awesome. Um and it's not just like like stark sets either. It's it's the it's striking cinematography along with that, and that's awesome. I like to see that. Uh, and then there's you know you have have a talented cast on top of this, right? You have Reese, you have Shea Wiggum, who really seems to be laughing it up. John Lithgow uh, making an impression. I know Tatiana Maslany is coming in future episodes. Emmy winner, uh, and Gail Rankin from Glow as the mom of the the dead baby. Uh, I think she she also stood out. She uh, was uh, Sheila the She Wolf on Glow. So like there's like that cast, right? And you're getting what seems to be a pretty, I guess, classic, easy to grasp, hard boiled crime noir, right? This detective solving this crime detective who has some personal issues as a World War One vet with PTSD, alcoholic, all that. And he's maybe going to grow along the way. Like, it's pretty easy to grasp where this is probably going to go. And if you know anything about the Perry Mason IP, a long-running one at that, uh, he's probably going to become a lawyer or at least get into the courtroom. Of course, the famous Perry Mason show is really a legal drama, not a mystery show. So you can kind of see where it might be going. But um, I guess I'm not really invested in the plot through one episode, but I like a lot of the the trappings and the, the showmanship to it through one. Yeah. You know, Setting a uh, noir-style miniseries in old-school L.A., uh, you know, and especially like the underbelly of Hollywood, feels like the perfect pitch to get um, to get me hooked. And I think the fact that I left feeling <clears throat> disinterested in the plot, I think a little bit confused by certain aspects of the plot, and then also just uh, you know Matthew Reese, very charismatic guy. I think the the one knock was in the americans he kind of has to play the sad boy to uh um i'm forgetting her name uh, uh carrie russell carrie yeah sorry to carrie russell's yeah. philip uh, jennings and uh whoever carrie plays i forget the name again haven't watched it in a bit yeah um <laughs> and i i feel like he kind of gets put back into that role here and um I think he's doing a, a lot in this and especially, you know, kind of in that last scene when he kind of starts to piece things together, but he's obviously having some sort of PTSD or depressive episode and um, kind of freaking out. I found myself just being like, this feels a bit over the top, 
like almost like a Matthew Reese's, I think, overacting a bit. Maybe we'll give mm. him the Matthew Reese overacting award. Um, and and I think it's just also um, to have all these aspects and not be completely hooked into this murder plot. You know, like this child whose eyes were stitched open uh, seems really, I don't know, uh, baffling to me why it didn't more. And I think... I found the beginning a lot more engaging when he was kind of this, like tracking this guy, taking a picture, gets the picture of him having sex with the the star of Hollywood and how yeah. he was trying to like get, uh, get extort more money out of the, the studio. So, you know, for, for the picture that they got, I, I found that to be way more engaging than the murder plot. I almost kind of wanted to see him running around Hollywood dealing with all this like shady Hollywood business, kind of like a uh, uh, Hollywood on Netflix, but grittier mm-hmm. type of thing, you know? Sure. Um, I, I guess I just didn't really feel like it, it hit a lot of the, the note, right notes for me. But again, kind of setting things up. There's a lot more to come, so we'll see. Um, what do you What are you excited for this season? I'm definitely looking forward to seeing Maslani, who's we saw her her visage on the wall in that first episode. Apparently, she's a very ener- energetic, engaging radio preacher. Yeah. And that sounds tantalizing because she is a very talented actress winning for Orphan Black a few years back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, Perry Mason, the character in this, we're kind of getting that difficult man archetype <laughs> right. that we've become very familiar with in the past 10 years on TV, right? And it's kind of weird because it's an origin story, but it's not like anyone needed to be told as an origin story because the Perry Mason quote unquote IP isn't some like bristling thing. Most people don't know what Perry Mason is. It's a show from the sixties, you know, it's old. Um, That being said, I'm willing to see what happens because again, I think a lot of the presentation is so strong. So I think for me, I'm curious to see if the Perry Mason character and Reese's performance that goes along with it. I'm interested to see if he, the character has enough growth to make him like more engaging, more, I guess, enjoyable to have as a protagonist, you know, um, not that, not that he needs to excise all his demons, but he did just kind of seem like a, uh, kind of a tough on his left guy through one, you know, that, and it's for, for a story that was pretty dark through one episode. Uh, there was a brief moment of levity, right? When we got that really, uh, active sex scene with his uh, <laughs> pilot friend. I thought that was actually like some great physical comedy when they literally mm-hmm. fucked themselves off the bed. That yep. was hilarious, honestly. <laughs> Especially and, and and Perry's not even emoting much of anything the whole time. No. It's kind of deadpan while he's getting fuck. fucked so off the mattress. So funny. <laughs> uh, so I hope, I hope that continues in some capacity. Yeah. Uh, that kind of humor. But yeah, um, interesting. Uh, funny enough, the first episode had higher of uh, nightly viewers higher ratings than uh, Westworld season three's premiere, as well as the premieres of Watchmen and The Outsider. So mm. remains to be seen if it gains uh, in the ratings week to week the way Watchmen and Outsider did. But I'm surprised to see that much uh, attention for it. Maybe that's a COVID effect. Don't know. Um, also, this one originally was going to have Robert Downey, Downey Jr. playing Perry, wow. who had to drop out due to scheduling. I really hope that wasn't because of something like Doolittle. Who knows? But uh, RDJ is still a producer on the show. 
and R- RDJ in that role would have been that would have been a, a, I think a fun watch for sure. Um, yeah. Alcoholic yeah. RDJ in real life and on on screen, pretty cool. I'm I'm with it, man. Um, yeah, Perry Mason. I think there's some good bones here. Let's let's hope that it becomes a little bit more captivating as the series goes on. We'll be checking in after the eight episodes conclude. But let's move on now to Netflix, where we're we're going to be talking Penelope Cruz and Anna Darmus, but not that much because you know when you get those two in a movie, you got to make sure that they just get these supporting roles for sure. Um, mm-hmm. The Wasp Network from Olivier Assayas. No, uh, uh, yeah, Assayas. Yeah, Assayas. Um, yeah. So this this dropped uh, at the Venice Film Festival back in September. 2019 uh released in france and then dropped on netflix this past weekend um starring as i mentioned penelope cruz anna de armis edgar ramirez wagner mora Mm -hmm. gail garcia bernal i mean stacked cast here leonardo sparaglia um and man to have this much talent in a movie and get this kind of output is just really frustrating um and and like i said i think i think there's i think the story is really interesting um but i think where i feel most frustrated with this is you have anadarmus and penelope cruz who every time they're on screen you just want to watch them they're super captivating and engaging and the story revolves around around them for like 25 minutes out of a two hour and 15 Mm -hmm. minute movie really frustrating how'd you feel watching it yeah, you, you have to think that Penelope and Anna took their roles because uh, after reading the scripts, knew and knowing these weren't like huge roles, they probably took these because Olivier Assayas has a big reputation as an international film, filmmaker. I actually haven't seen any of his movies to this point, but uh, Personal Shopper in 2016, Kristen Stewart has been on my list for some time. I know he's, nom- he's nominated for a Best Foreign Language Film in the past and is definitely g- generally just a presence at... Uh, film festivals when he makes movies. Uh, so you have to think that's why they, they, were, they got invested, but it's really a bit of a clunker because the movie just has so much going on and it, it's quite convoluted, which really is a shame, not just because of the cast, but like you said, this is a really interesting story that I think if told in a better way, would I think really resonate, you know, it, it's, it's Cuba, but it's not Cuba as we come to always know it, like in the, peak of Castro and the missile crisis it, it's after the Soviet Union fell it's in the 90s right mm-hmm. and this whole thing about spies and moles and uh, uh, terrorist terrorist action in Cuba and then uh, Cuban spies within those terrorists that are anti-Castro it's very fascinating but the problem is the movie doesn't make it coherent enough we keep getting introduced to new characters new organizations new acronyms the passage of time is quite unclear and seems to change scene to scene you know and, and then almost seems like there's like non-sequitur things always like when we just meet new people and have to like invest in them for a bit like when we get the uh el salvador guy who does the bombings in havana right and we spend time with that guy and like I, yeah he got he got fucked over um yeah. but like how, how can that land with the audience you don't have enough time and then we get back to Melly cruz to end the movie like it just yeah you, it's you, such a mess the, the El Salvador thing, I think, is a really good uh, encapsulation of what is wrong with this movie, right? Like, it, you are left very confused. 
you you cut to the scene where this kid is doing these bombings and then gets kind of whisked away and you don't see him again. It's maybe like a 10, 12 minute scene. And then at the end of the movie, they give you an update on that person. They tell you what happened to him and where he is today. It's like, why would I ever want to know? Because I was investing this guy for less than 10 minutes and don't really care. Um, You know, I think the heart of the movie is the relationship between Penelope Cruz and Edgar Ramirez. You know, Mm. it's supposed to be this like, withstanding this uh very complex network of of spying you know double double spying almost in a way and uh penelope cruz being the woman that stands by her man who's doing this for for god and country but i think the the story that lands the hardest is anna darmus who really is just this like i don't know drive-by shooting almost in this whole thing where she's just totally used and then left and is kind of left to like be exposed by the media uh you know kind of exploited by this guy who then says the mrs moses is jeep back in america jeep cherokee yeah totally uh totally devastating and anadarmus is great in this yeah Um, she really sells it as the disgruntled wife character it's not the best role but uh, she, she again is quite compelling like she often is and I think some of the some of the male characters in this this did, were not emotive or uh, strong enough in, in their role to be playing alongside such charismatic female actors. It's uh, just a bit of a confusing movie, I think, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think another th- another sign that the movie clearly wasn't working is there's these two big data dumps uh, of exposition yeah. via narration. Yep. Oh, oh, there's all these other guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, being spies in Miami too. You have no idea who they are, nope. why, why they're spies. Doesn't matter. Just know they're there. Know they're acting. And when you see them get arrested at the end, just just get that point. Like, yep. it's a mess. And I think maybe if this was stripped back and we focus on these themes and th- this history, but maybe not do all of the people that got arrested. Maybe just focus on uh, Edgar Ramirez, who plays uh, Renee. Some I forget his last name. Uh, maybe focus on them. Yeah, Gonzalez. You know? Yeah, there's just there's too many moving parts in the way it's told, and you can tell that just uh, the plotting just kind of gets away from Olivier. So, yeah, I really loved uh, when Gail Garcia Bernal's Geraldo Hernandez pops up because the way when he's explaining to his wife why he's going over to do this, he's like, "There's all these spies in America, but they need someone to get them in line to like organize them." And I was like, "Wait, what?" Like. <laughs> I thought that guy who's like recruiting them over in America is like organizing them. Like what is, it, it was, uh, I don't know. I, I, I found myself to be really just like lost in the sauce uh, throughout this movie and really disappointed. Cause I think when you have this, you know, that much talent uh, and that kind of story it could have been so much more. So I don't know. Any last thoughts before we move on to, I think a better movie. Uh, yeah, you can, you can skip this one. Read the Wikipedia. Good yes. story definitely a good story uh another good story is baby teeth which uh dropped on ifc video on demand vod uh starring eliza scanlon uh and and ben mendelson toby wallace uh, i think lesser known of those those three um big ones the mom sc davis there you go yeah um you know Going into this movie, I had very little knowledge of it. And I just left this movie feeling like this was a total delight and uh, really moving movie. 
Um, and also probably my favorite Ben Mendelsohn role, uh, maybe ever question wow. mark. Uh, I, I found him to be super, uh, in, super just moving in, in this role as this grieving dad who's trying to like hold the family together while he's also falling apart. But, um, how did you feel about baby teeth? Yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff that stands out. Obvious things to like. It's the debut film from Shannon Murphy. She uh, probably most famously directed some episodes of Killing Eve. But it, it's one of those you know, kind of like indie films that you can tell is like a debut or, or, or a young filmmaker's first few movies because it's trying to avoid convention and mm. predictability and stuff like that. And I think it does really succeed in that because Baby Teeth is a movie about a sick, dying kid, but it's not like all the other ones where like they do they try and make you feel really sad about it and there's all these cliche moments. It's not it's not that kind of story. And you kind of have this uh, duality with her parents who uh, also seem to be grieving and, and medicating in a maybe a more uh, less taboo fashion via pills and whatnot, right? And uh, we, whenever whenever you think the plot's going to go in a direction that uh, would wrap it up cleanly, it doesn't do that. And the visuals are also pretty arresting, I'd say. There's, I think, mm-hmm. the dance scene where like there's some kind of like blurry shots and whatnot. Uh, yeah, I think I think in general because it's not your average sick girl. Uh, dramedy, it uh, seems to stand out to me, you know, and I mean, the ending scene on the beach is, yeah. is, is particularly uh, effective. So, yeah, Baby Teeth, you know, not something that was on my radar either. Surprisingly, this had already been shown at festivals before. I'm surprised it took this long to get get released, but yeah, uh, I hope a lot of people check this out because this is, uh, you know, it, it, it just kinda, it's kind of different kind of interesting and yeah there's a lot to like about it and you know i think we all knew eliza scanlon has she she's got the chops man i mean we saw her in little women saw mm-hmm. her in sharp objects yeah. uh, both i think very impressive turns and she's i think she's great throughout this as as mila the main character who is dying of cancer and um you know trying to uh, navigate this romance with this older drug dealer kid played by toby mm-hmm. wallace who uh they really like ugly him up for this if you like, yeah, look at some I of do. his pictures online he's like a very attractive man but he just i think it's that mullet and that like scum stash that he has throughout just really uh really effective in making him look like this kind of low-life drug dealer but seeing how them kind of finding each other brings out certain aspects of who they are and what they're looking for at that certain time and I think the uh, seeing the parents work through their grieving process in this was probably the the most moving part to me. You know, I think Mila and uh, Eliza is just a vehicle for the growth of all the other characters. Because like, you obviously know that her trajectory, she's going to die. That's what the movie is about. Um, but seeing how Henry and Anna, the parents, work through this this stage of denial and, and you know, leave my daughter alone like why are you doing this to her to being like okay she obviously needs you as she goes through this part of her life and coming to terms with that and how her happiness is kind of tied into this thing that they actively would be against usually is really fascinating and um 
you know, seeing them deal with in their own way. But, uh, you know, Ben Mendelsohn plays this therapist or psychiatrist, I guess, who's just prescribing all this medication left and right for people. Um, <laughs> Including to his own wife. Yep. And she's taking all these medications to pretty much numb herself. And he's like hooking up or making out with the pregnant neighbor because uh, he's kind of losing, feels like he's losing his marriage, losing his daughter. Uh, it's very, very fascinating. And that last scene, man, I, you, you mentioned it beautifully shot, visually striking, but the way that Ben Mendelsohn just kind of like goes through all that pain on his face without really saying much. I was choked up watching that. I, I, I thought it was incredibly effective and moving. Um, what else stood out to you about this movie? Anything in particular? Uh, yeah. And speaking to the convention again, Moses, his kind of presence, especially in the, the really first hour of the movie, when you, the way you meet him and he asks for money mm. and then when he breaks into the house later and seems to come and go with Mill as he pleases, you're not really sure what the intentions of the character are. And it ends up becoming a love story of sorts, but not in the traditional way where they just kind of fall for each other. And I really liked, as you said, that the parents kind of just accepting that they need to just let her be happy because she's not going to be alive that long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's honestly kind of, kind of, kind of some deep shit, you know, and uh, especially watching them grapple and not just immediately come to that conclusion. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it, it makes for uh, engaging storytelling. And then towards the end too, when uh, she's telling him to suffocate her and just, and, and just end it. And he's like, I don't want to do this. And they almost do it, right? And then she quit, soon dies anyway. It's like, uh, it, it, again, it's not where you expect it to go once they've kind of come together and been accepted by the parents and all that. So, uh, I, you know, I think the middle parts of the movie when they're like kind of following each other, it's kind of hazy. Yeah. Um, and that's probably some of the weaker stuff for me, but also has some of the best visuals. So um, for me, it's just the beach scene though that's that's the hallmark for me and I, you know as you said with scanlan uh immense talent thus far cool this is an australian film yeah uh just about everyone there is australian or i think toby wallace uh, moved to australia when he was a young boy as well so that's kind of cool too i hope ho- i hope this is a big deal over there yeah I, I really liked that party scene um felt very very like realistic for a party i feel like where it was like in this small place like kind of like weird lighting and people like just like hanging out in the kitchen like drinking you know <laughs> like it, it and yeah people are dancing maybe that's not always like how uh every party goes down but this one i just felt very real and i think shannon murphy has a good sense of like uh creating these spaces um even if like uh, at the end when they're doing like the holiday together that celebration together um when the neighbor gets you know goes into labor I wasn't really sure how they all came together. It felt a little strange to have, you know, uh, Moses's family who it seems like he just reconciled with pretty quickly to now come together with that family and the neighbor as well. But um, some really memorable scenes that really like bring you back to times and moments in there uh, in this movie. So I think a really impressive debut from her. Um, Check, check this one out. It's only eight bucks or seven bucks on video on demand. So uh, you don't have to shell out the whole 20, get two people and you're paying 350 for that dog. Um, yeah. 
check it out. What do we got for next week, Dave? And then the biggest thing would be uh, the third album from Haim, Women in Music Part 3. been three years since their last album. Uh, this had been delayed a few times due to coronavirus finally coming. Also, we'll be talking about Season 2 of The Politician on Netflix from Ryan Murphy. We talked about the first season. We'll see if we like this one more. And also, uh, I think the most Thruple. interesting... <laughs> Thruple. <laughs> most interesting to me uh, also is Irresistible, new movie on demand this Friday from Jon Stewart with uh, Rose Byrne and uh, who's the male in it? Uh, looks pretty good, though. And also uh, Will Ferrell Netflix movie Eurovision is coming out as well. Um, yeah. we'll we probably won't be talking about Twilight Zone. But that's actually coming back for season two on CBS All Access this Thursday. Didn't really care for that first season, but that <laughs> is here. If you want it, and yeah, maybe something else happens too. Yeah, you know, things just popping up like uh, City on Lock, so we'll see. Yep. Anyways, catch you next week. Yeah.